On this Sunday in Great Lent, we celebrate uh, and commemorate St. Mary of Egypt. Uh, we, we just celebrated the great canon of St. Andrew of Crete on Thursday, uh, which uh, is a wonderful long prayer, uh, which basically goes through all of the scriptures, all of the good examples, all of the bad examples, uh, uh, compares us uh, um, well, negatively to both, <laughs> and uh, and and because that's not quite long enough, we include in that the reading of the entirety of the life of Saint Mary of Egypt, which is quite long. So I won't go over the whole of the life of Saint Mary of Egypt because most of you have already, well, many of you have already heard it. Uh, but but for our purposes here today, what I, given what I want to speak about uh, this this morning, um, I think it's important to note that uh, St. Mary was essentially what we would in modern day terms call a nymphomaniac. Uh, she suffered from sexual desire that was extreme and uh, she spent her youth from about age 13 uh, and for 17 years on onwards after that in working the streets of Alexandria, although working might even be too generous because, because of her addiction, she basically would sometimes do what she did for free, just so she could get more people interested in her uh, and doing it with her. Um, and so here's this young woman who, uh, and, and here I, the, 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 I want to sort of start connecting it to the gospel reading, which we heard, the second gospel reading from Luke, um, where we, we have here another young, uh, another woman who is uh, very, very clearly a sinner. Everybody who looks at her, who knows anything about her would know this is a sinful woman. Uh, and it's no coincidence that this is the gospel reading that's selected for this Sunday when we are commemorating uh, St. Mary of Egypt. Uh, it looks pretty hopeless. Uh, at, at it, probably even more hopeless looking. Uh, she she hears about some pilgrims going to uh, Jerusalem to on a pilgrimage to to venerate the true cross, uh, and when she hears about this, she she says, "Oh, I'm I'm going to go with them." And they ask her, "Well, do you have any money?" Like, nope, but I have a body, and she actually goes on the ship and seduces everybody on the ship. Well, at least that's that's how the story goes. It's a goodly portion of the people on the ship. This is her pilgrimage. This, this looks pretty hopeless. Uh, and she gets to Jerusalem uh, and everybody's pushing their way, because this is a good Mediterranean mob, <laughs> pushing their way into uh, the uh, church where the Holy Cross is 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 on display, waiting for veneration, and and so the, every like the whole mob is surging through this doorway, and she can't get in. And initially, she thinks, well, it's just because you know I'm I'm small and I'm uh, and people aren't making way for me, but eventually she realizes she keeps trying to get into the church. She's being kept out. She can't get in. God is keeping her out. And that's the moment for St. Mary where she just suddenly realizes, wait a second, something's wrong. 
I'm trapped. I can't do anything about this. I need help. And she sees uh, uh, in, she's, she's in the, I guess, the narthex, and she looks up and she sees an icon of the mother of God, uh, Mary, and she calls out to her, asking her, please pray for me. Asking this paragon of virtue, the one who is absolutely pure, to pray for her, a miserable, wretched sinner. And then she gets up and that same force which seemed to keep her out draws her in to the church. And she goes up to the Holy Cross and she venerates it with everybody else. And she, as she comes out, she hears a voice saying, if you cross the Jordan into the desert, you will find perfect rest. And so she does. She listens to the voice. And she goes out into the desert. And, and that's where she's discovered by the elder Zosima after um after uh, i can't remember exactly how many years in the desert um but a long time um and and her only wish what was it 47 years that sounds right um and her only wish at that point is simply to receive communion receive holy communion and and in fact she's so holy that at the uh when 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 Elder, Elder Zosima uh, falls down at her, uh, and, and they're both actually in this kind of blessing war, <laughs> asking, asking each other to bless. And, and uh, 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 Mary wins two of the three blessing wars in the story. Because uh, uh, eventually Elder Zosima says, it's like she says, oh, no, you're a priest. And she, he says, no, no, it's very evident. God is at work in you. <laughs> Please bless me. And so she, she gets up and asks God to bless them. Uh, and then uh, and then uh, he asked her to pray, and so she's praying, and he can't make out individual words. And yeah, but her prayer, as as he says, is very long. And this is a, this is a monk who's used to long prayers. <laughs> uh, um, so so she's she's praying for a long time, and he looks up, and she's actually floating off the ground. And he's totally scared, and he figures, oh no, this is I'm, I've been mistaken. This is a demon. And 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 she says, no, no, Elder Zosma, don't worry. Uh, and and she. And, and she, she makes it clear to him that she is indeed uh, just a sinful woman who has been blessed by God as she sought him with her whole heart. And this is the story that is brought before us this week of every Lent. Uh, and then, as I say, there's the, the, the gospel reading uh, is, uh, for this is, is um, about this sinful woman who, again, uh, is one whom everybody is simply writing off. So one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to come and eat with him. And, and so he, he comes and he sits down and, and, uh, and, and reclines at table and is eating with him in his house. And this sinful woman comes in. Everybody knows who she is in the city. They all know her as this sinner. Um, and she has an alabaster, alabaster jar of fragrant oil. Uh, which she uh, and then she stands at his feet and um, and behind him Jesus weeping and she begins to wash his feet with her tears so many tears she washes his feet with them and then she wipes them with the hair of her head she kisses her feet and anoints them with the fragrant oil so this is not something you can easily ignore <laughs> it's just like you're in the middle of a banquet and this woman comes in and he's kind of making a scene and and the Pharisee, and I, I love this bit, 
the Pharisee who had invited Jesus, when he sees this, he, he, he thinks to himself, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is, who is touching him, for she is a sinner. He, he thinks this to himself. And then Jesus answers him. It's like, yes, he is totally a prophet, or in more than a prophet, because <laughs> uh, he knows exactly what the Pharisee is thinking. Uh, and so he, he answers him and says, Simon, I have something to say to you. And, he, and Simon says, the Pharisee says, teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Uh, and just for reference, a denarii was uh, a day's wages for a day laborer in the field. So that's not an insignificant amount. 50 is, is quite a bit and 500 is, is, is quite a lot. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? And Simon answers, and again, I love his answer, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. I think that hesitation is kind of revealing. <laughs> it's like, he doesn't really want to answer. Uh, and, and so, and I want to pause, pause there and just kind of focus in on three things about this parable and about St. Mary of Egypt and about our struggle with sin. Um, the first is that um, this sort of sin is terribly addictive. It is one that uh, for generations upon generations, we have understood that strikes right at the core of our identity. Uh, and, and, and this goes all the way back to this point this, this the pharisee looking at the sinful woman sees her and in her his mind this is her identity she is completely identified with this sin but as christians we resist this because jesus looks at her and he does not see this as her identity that's important we, um, and it's important in terms even of our wrestling with this sin and without all the other sins that beset us. This, is, as many other sins are, is a, a hugely addictive sin. It's one that tends to dominate our minds, our thinking. It's not the only one, but there are, there are many sins like this that, that you know, we, we, we resolve, okay, we're not going to go there. We're not going to do that. We're not going to think about that. And even in that resolution, it undermines us and that becomes exactly what we think about and what we're obsessed with and what drags us back in there. And it feels, it can feel absolutely disempowering, absolutely disabling, absolutely. It becomes, it becomes like it's controlling us. And this is, uh, this is, our lived experience of it. Uh, and so, yes, it does feel like this is what is coming to identify us. But we are not made to be this way. We are made a reason-endowed soul, which is supposed to be in control of the body, in control of our desires. Uh, and this is what is to, uh, it, we are to use in the service of God. This is what, how we are to control our life, our mind, our body in the service of God, to serve others. And yet, 
this is this there's this continual undermining of us by this addictiveness of sin particularly this one and yet it is not all powerful one of the things that was shared with me just recently was uh um uh, an experience of of a fasting where uh the, the the person was saying this is also my experience uh, you know it feels like when you when you start to fast it feels like you're gonna die this is it you know i'm just i'm just not gonna be able to manage it uh and and it feels like uh, totally overwhelming uh but if we persist if we push through that and continue in the fast we realize after you know having not eaten for oh wow it's been like 12 hours now or whatever i'm not dead yet hey this is great we're not as much in slavery to our bodies as we think we are as it feels like we are that's one of the great revelations of the discipline of fasting it doesn't save us but it reveals to us that salvation is possible and so this this woman comes in uh and and everybody else and particularly the pharisee is seeing her identity as this sinner jesus sees what she actually does what she is actually doing at that moment she is weeping for her sin She's noticing the tears as they fall on Jesus' feet and, they, and wiping them off with her hair. She's attentive. And she anoints Jesus with uh, feet with fragrant oil. She is grateful. And then, of course, um, Jesus tells this parable in response to Simon the Pharisee's uh, unspoken uh, questioning of his prophetic authority. You know, there was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50, and they had nothing to pay him back with, so he freely forgave them both. Which of them will love him more? Here I want us to think about repentance. Repentance is obviously something that we're called to think about quite a lot in this period, this Lenten period. It is something that is an ongoing process. We often think of it as something that just happens. Okay, I'm, I've repented. Okay, no, no. Most of the time, repentance is this ongoing process. It takes time. It takes effort. It takes energy. We have to invest in it and we have to keep coming back to it. We have to keep repenting. It's like, wait, I did that again. But again, ah. Oh. I have to repent again. Uh, and and it, it can feel, again, just like this completely self-defeating process. But in that, in some respects, we're missing the point. I mean, if you think about how does the church deal with repentance? Somebody comes up for confession, the priest hears the confession and says, your sins are forgiven. Uh, it's a very bold statement Jesus makes it at the end of the end of this as well. Uh, but wait a second, that person is probably, 
as somebody who hears a lot of confessions, I, I can say almost mo- 90, uh, 99% of the time is going to come back and confess that same sin again. Is that really repentance? Because repentance actually means metanoia, changing of the mind. And, and, and so the mind obviously hasn't finished changing at that point. And yet the priest says, your sins are forgiven. As Jesus says here, your sins are forgiven. Does this mean that this woman never had any struggle with sin again? Well, maybe it's possible that happens sometimes. But it's also possible that no, she, she went back and she had continued to struggle. And yet, that's the reality that happens at that point. And what does Jesus say is the effect of that reality, that forgiveness of sins? says the effect is love. So you see, we don't simply repent in order to be free of sin, although that's great. If we can manage it, good, glory to God. Uh, um, And in fact, we should be working towards that. But it's a process. But that process, even along the way of that process, God actually forgives us. And what is our response to that forgiveness, to receiving that forgiveness. It's love. We are inspired and moved to love God because he has forgiven us, because he is merciful, because we suddenly, as we, as we recognize our brokenness and our sinfulness, God's grace abounds even more. You know, Paul, when he's talking about this phenomenon, he, he says, he actually talks about this and, and says, you know, where sin abounded, grace abounded even more. And yeah, he, he goes, goes on to say, what shall we say to these things? Shall we go on sinning that grace may abound? It's like he's, he's, he's thinking so much about the grace and the love and the mercy of God. He's getting so excited about this. that He's like, oh, wait, maybe the conclusion of this is that we should sin more so that God can forgive us more. Like, no, 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 God forbid. Let's not go there. <laughs> uh, but but that's that's the power of that amazing forgiveness that God extends to us. We have trouble loving. We especially have trouble loving God. I think just because He's well. In some ways, it's real easy because He's out there and far away and not not sort of always in our face. But then you know things go wrong, and all of a sudden we realize like wrong in our lives and wrong in our circumstances. All of a sudden we realize how difficult it is that to love God in those circumstances. Why, Lord? Why me? This quick, you know, flipping of our of our love and loyalty. Um, but 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 when we realize the forgiveness that comes to us through God, from God, because he loves us, then we are able to love God more. And that's partly why we take such care examining ourselves looking at ourselves, trying to figure out what is broken, what is wrong, what we need to confess, what we need to bring to God. Because as we do that, and there's, there's never any end to it because we're broken and messed up and, you know, but, but and, 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 you know, on, from an external perspective, somebody might say, oh, well, you know, if we do make spiritual progress by God's grace, which we do sometimes, uh, then, then, uh, you know, an external uh, observer might say, oh, you're repenting of that? That's so trivial. You know, it's, it's, at least when you look at the sins of the great saints, you know, <laughs> it's like, 
oh, wow, that's, uh, okay, well, I guess that is sin. <laughs> um, um, but, but that is all a process of just realizing the love that God has for us. That, that, that he, and, and as, we, as we understand more and more our own brokenness, we, and we understand in that understanding that God still loves us. God loves us more than we love ourselves. This is grace abounding all the more. So that's part of why we repent. It's part of our Paschal and Lenten joy. Finally, um, the um, finally Simon's hesitation. Just wanted to sort of draw that out before before I conclude, like because here's a Pharisee. He's a very, very probably a very intelligent man. He's he's got he's he's got he's he and and he just can't quite bring himself to admit. You know, because he knows where Jesus is going with this. You know, he can't quite, quite bring himself to admit it. And actually, this is kind of us. We really don't want to admit when we're wrong. When we're, uh, you know, like, it, it's, it's something that is, it's, it's so hard for some strange reason. And yet, on some level, as I've said before, you know, I far prefer being proved conclusively wrong in a debate than winning a debate. 